0: plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sarah Wilson, and this is Wild, a show where we talk with the biggest minds in the world about the ideas that can help us love and save our one wild and precious life together on this planet. Good morning, everyone, from Paris where it is raining and cold. This is another episode of Ask Me Anything where you, the listener, and the Substack subscriber can ask me anything like and I will answer it each Friday in this bonus episode. So if you would like to ask me a question, uh, you just need to go to Substack. That's sarahwilson.substack.com and I'll put that link in the show notes and you can pretty much post the question anywhere you like. I will find it. I read every single comment and there are hundreds each week, but um, it's actually a joy for me to be part of that process. Anyway, like I say, it's uh, cold and wet here. I don't generally like cold and wet, Um, it's something that kind of, yeah, disturbs me. Um, but I did buy a jacket. Uh, it's something I know that, uh, many of you listening have become invested in. It was an unfashionable choice. I'm told, uh, I bought a puffer jacket. I researched it, uh, for quite some time and, um, yes, I'm told it's a, it's an unfashionable choice here in Paris. Parisian women don't tend to wear puffer jackets. So it's a to the knee kind of, hoodie-over-the-top sleeping bag, full-body sleeping bag. So what do the French wear? Well, I have studied the issue. I have spoken to many French women. They wear a woolen trench generally, um... Tied at the waist with lots of layers underneath. And there's an, a fine art to wearing these layers, um, including having little bags that you can put them in um, if it gets too hot during the day. Anyway, um, because I take these kinds of things very seriously, I don't buy more than about three or four items of clothing a year. I asked no less than seven staff at Uniqlo for their advice. And yes, I did buy it at Uniqlo. I looked into the ethics of it all and it stacked up. Anyway, I initially bought a particular jacket. Uh, which was very, very warm. But there was a guy that I met um, on a dating app. Um, turns out that we've become friends. He's a diplomat or an ex-diplomat from Moscow, and he told me that he had the same jacket and that, Sarah, it's a bit overkill. You do not need a Russian-strength uh, jacket in, in Paris, um, especially when it's not even the heart of winter. I'll be away for the heart of winter um, back in Australia. So I returned it. And I bought the next one down, which is still a sleeping bag, a full body sleeping bag. Um, but yeah, the upshot is very happy with my choice. I wore it to the Ritz the other night. I was invited to dinner and I very literally wear it to bed each night. So it serves as a extra blanket. Um, so I'll be wearing the bejesus out of this thing. One one final share on this, on this jacket. Um, I'll share a picture of it on the Substack um, post. And again, you can check that out. So If you want to see all of this as a video, um, you're listening to it probably at the moment. If you want to see it as a video, I run it as a video, this conversation with myself and you, uh, over at the Substack. um, And... I also have a thread underneath where you can join in the discussion with me afterwards. But anyway, one final thing about the jacket, my friend Celine, who I also met on a dating app here in um, France, and we just both wanted to have another female friend in our lives. She's a uh, documentary maker. She sails um, boats um, on a regular basis. And she told me, ah, Sarah, the French style is about your intention. She said, if you are wearing the jacket and you don't care, this is the French style. So we were at a really cool bar um, in the 11th and I was wearing my sagging leggings and a brown cardigan and the jacket and a beanie. And she kind of waved over my outfit to sort of make her point. Anyway, the guy behind the bar was listening to our conversation, half in French, half in English. And uh, I think he felt sorry for me. He bought me a glass of wine. Anyway, which is not what we're talking about in this Ask Me Anything episode. So let's get to the question I have been asked recently. It's a question that's come from a concerned mother. She's called Emma, and I emailed her to ask if I could give her full name. Her name's Emma Thompson. And this is her question. She's written to me, it's my son I wanted to chat with you about. He's 16, and he is a passionate climate uh, activist. She goes on to talk about all the things he's done. He's one of the school's strike for climate national organisers. Um, he was heavily involved in the Move Beyond Coal campaign against NAB. And she's also emailed me to say that he is taking part in today's school strike for climate um, protest and he's one of the main organisers in Victoria so no doubt you'll see him there if you're protesting today. She says he literally spends hours each week helping to organise actions with like-minded people. As his mum, I'm so proud of him but also feel sad that this is where he feels he needs to focus his energy. When I was his age, I was dreaming about a future career, traveling and family, and he's too busy trying to save the planet in order to have a future at all. She sort of said, oh, I know you've done a lot of work in this area and around anxiety. I'd love you to uh, share your thoughts. I would love you to be able to chat with him as someone who has had so much experience and knowledge in climate-related topics, as well as anxiety and the burden a lot of kids are carrying. So, Emma, I I like the sound of your son a lot Um, and I have a bunch of thoughts for him and for all of us who are adults in the room listening to this. For him, I guess I'm not sure whether he has anxiety. Um, From your question, I can't tell, but it sounds like you're worried that he could. Um, I also spend a lot of time worrying about young people in all of this and I know many are anxious and depressed and enduring a whole range of issues. Uh, but I keep learning over and over again, and I, I'm learning the hard way by having my assumptions uh, pulled apart by others, which is the best way to learn, that young people are not always anxious in the way we expect that they might be. So for instance, I did a podcast this week with um well, I can tell you who it is. Her episode will be coming up shortly with Hannah Barnes. She's the journalist in the UK who exposed, um, the Tavistock Clinic trans, you know, which is for trans kids. And, um, she uh, she she and I talk in the conversation about how um, a lot of the kids that were presenting to the clinic before it got shut down, in part because of her research, were anxious or worried about being bullied for being gay way more than about the idea of being trans, which came as a shock to many adults in the space, the carers, the parents and the doctors. Um, Also, Jonathan Haidt and Jean Twenge, who also write on Substack, and I'll put their links in the show notes on the Substack post, uh, say that really most of the uptick in teen anxiety at the moment can be put down to the iPhone, the advent of the iPhone. And they time it to about 2014, I think. They think that absolutely everything or almost everything that teens are experiencing uh, can be brought down to this, this factor. Um, I think it's a bit reductionist, but there is certainly something in it and we should be listening to that kind of thinking, I suppose, um, if they're feeling that adamant. Um, yeah, and in This One Wild and Precious Life, I talk about the fact that uh, anxiety and problems associated with children's use of phone is actually uh, lesser in terms of its impact on the child itself than the parents' phone use, which I think is really interesting. I also find that kids in the activist space are not necessarily anxious, they're just pissed off, and often we, the adults, interpret this as anxiety, um, which, you know, they then might take on. They might interpret their pissed-offness as anxiety, and I do see this a lot. It's a a realisation I've had to come to over the years. So in the main, I think they'd be less anxious if we were more engaged. They're pissed off with us basically because we're not doing enough as the adults in the room. Uh, So in no way am I I casting aspersions on you as a parent um, or any of us. It's all of us. It's the collective. It's the social system that has um, set us all up to be almost unable to or frozen uh, in our ability to do the right thing by the next generation. So, okay, so to your son, uh, and I might address this to your son, uh, and I'd love you to show this video to him, Emma, um, if you feel it's appropriate. So I don't know what your na- name is, but you're absolutely right to feel pissed off. You're right to feel annoyed by the lack of action, the lack of change that's happening, the, the care, the demonstration of care from adults. Adults are being, in the main, a huge letdown, and it's because we are all caught up in the system. And I'm figuring that you probably see this, right? Because you're trying to protest to get us to change our ways. So you're right to be engaged in climate action and to, uh, to try to motivate people around you and to expose information. And if you have anxiety, look, this kind of um, activist engagement is the best thing for it. So I write about this in This One Wild and Precious Life. Um, the best way to deal with climate anxiety is to be an activist and- I say this a lot. I use this example. Most of the world is in a freeze state, which is one way of dealing with anxiety, right? So there's flight, fight, fawn, and freeze. And we are collectively in a frozen state where we're doing nothing. We're freaked out, but we're not doing anything. Now, the best way generally to deal with a threat is to flee or to fight. And both are actions in freeze you know, we're not being active. Um, And so what ends up happening is that we then store the the stress hormones in our bodies and we don't shake them off. When we're fighting and fleeing, we shake them off. We're not doing it when we freeze. So the best thing that you can do is be active, right? Rather than stay in the frozen state. Um, So be an activist, keep the energy moving, Uh, keep the rage moving. Honestly, it's a very productive use of your time and your care. And um, I think that's something that I would really like to impart on you. So I can also recommend my podcast episode that I did some time back with Margaret Salomon. And again, I'll put that in the show notes. She talks about this very issue. She's an expert. She's a climate psychologist who talks about all of this. I'll also just highlight how important resilience is. I did a presentation to the National Press Club some time ago on the lack of resilience in young people and what a huge problem this is and how it's a bigger problem for both young people and our culture than what is being termed the anxiety epidemic. So you can see a bit of a theme emerging here. Um, a big part of why I think you know myself and other adults worry for young people is that a generation has been created by us the adults in the room that has been cocooned in such a way that they you don't have the skills to cope with the uncertainty and flux that is coming our way so we worry for young people because really we're worrying for ourselves because we've become just as lacking in resilience from the easy life that we have insisted on creating so I guess I'm wondering if, again, you know, we need to reflect on our lack, our fear for ourselves and and whether you, a young person, you know, is more kind of fed up with all of this and quite ready to adjust. And I suspect that it is the case. I suspect that young people are at a point where they're ready to adjust so, Emma, perhaps your son can tell me whether this rings true for him, um, and if any of you have young young kids in your life, um, please, I'd love to hear their thoughts on what I've just shared. So to this end, I'd also encourage you to listen to my podcast that came out earlier in the week with Paul Hawken, who started out the Project Drawdown book, and um, he's now put out a book called uh, Regeneration. And... Um, Yeah, it's a very powerful interview, and at the end he shares the commencement speech that he made, and I share that speech. It's the final few lines of my book in this one, Wild and Precious Life, but it's a speech he gives to 18-year-olds effectively about all of this. So um, young people listening to this, please go and listen to the podcast where I get Paul to read it, Uh, but you can also read that speech um, in the final chapter of my book. It's pretty perfect for everything I'm talking about here. So my final thought, which kind of ties all of this together, is that we should try not, this is an edict to the adults listening, we should try not to impose our anxiety and worldview onto young people. It was interesting. I was talking to my friend Kylie who lives here in Paris the other night and it's similar to a conversation I've been having with my dad over a number of years where it invariably comes up, and I, I imagine many of you listening can relate to this, Many of us feel that we can cope with what's ahead, or at least we feel we must cope with what's ahead. But we will then often sort of jump in our conversation or our concern to young people. We'll say, but what about the kids? How are they going to survive? This is just so horrible that we're leaving this to children. And, you know, Kylie and I get tearful when we talk about it. Um, and shout out to Kylie, who no doubt will listen to this. She's got young kids as well. And to my dad. My dad. Uh, he does listen to this podcast from time to time. Um, so yes, we 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 often get stuck in any kind of framing around climate collapse, um, civilizational collapse when it comes to children, and so we should. So we should. But I also feel that we could very much be imposing on kids our own limited framing, our own inability to cope with the idea that the world's going to have to change. Many of us as adults, you know, it's a characteristic of being an adult. We're kind of stuck in our ways and we're used to living in a particular way. I don't think collapse, whether it's climate collapse or a broader Uh, meta-crisis type collapse will be an event as such. It will be a process. It'll be a gradual decline. And I often think for some reason about how if we went back to pre-2014, pre-the iPhone, and we were told that our entire lives will be ruled by this small thing that we can hold in our hands and it will stop us from meeting people in real life it will destroy relationships it will damage young girls mental health it will it will you know stoke up you know global wars um it will change the face of democracy there's no way we could have coped with the idea of that but of course it creeps you know collapse creeps and That's what we're going to be dealing with in coming years. And I suspect that young people who don't have a framing for, you know, say 40 or 50 or 60 years of life on the planet really are sort of putting things through the lens of of maybe what they've experienced for 10 years, 15 years, 16 years in the case of your son, Emma. And so collapse to them might not look that much different to what they're seeing going on right now. And to that extent, they're probably thinking, well, we'll just deal with each step as we go, including remaining outraged about the lack of humanity, the lack of care that might be coming from the adults around them and more broadly. So In some ways, I think it's possible that kids could be better at coping with this um, because they're not locked into a fixed idea of what life is meant to be about. Um, And, you know, I think that's worth keeping in mind. In the thread um, that was attached to the Meg Wheatley episode, which, you know, is just epically wonderful and beautiful and thank you everybody who contributed. Somebody chimed in with their experience living in Romania as a child during um, what sounds like a very difficult period and I've heard stories like this um, from Eastern Bloc countries um, from that time where it was a very happy time. It was very simple, uh, a lot of poverty. There were days, weeks without food, without fuel, without electricity, but um, this Commenter, and sorry, I can't remember your name, but um, hopefully you're listening and you know who you are. And please um, chime in, in the the comments um, on Substack um, if you do listen to this. But um, you you mentioned that it was the love of your grandmother grandmother that you remember, and in fact you you had to go and live with your grandmother because your parents had to work and couldn't look after the kids at the same time because of how things were in your country at the time. So. I think that's something that we need to bear in mind. That's what collapse is going to look like. Collapse is going to look like everything going back to basics and that's not such a bad thing. And I think young people agree with me on this. Um, Not all young people, of course, but a lot of young people are going, this is insane, this world you've constructed is insane. Can we not go back to simpler times? And just, you know, I think as per this example that I mentioned in Romania, What really matters is love. And um, I I think some of you might have seen the post I also uh, put through. What day was it? Friday. So it was to the Substack community, um, where I played a video of a documentary that was made in the 1960s with kids uh, predicting what the future will look like in the year 2000. And my goodness, were they accurate. Um, It's like they were looking into a crystal ball. I really encourage you to go and watch that. But I was struck by how calm they were. It's like, well, this will probably happen. This will probably happen. And I suppose in their minds, the whole world is ahead of them and they'll get to it and they'll get to it each stage at a time. So I'll come back to the main point I'm making here. A lot of it depends on us. Um, how we are going to go about holding children, showing love, prioritizing the right things as the world changes in coming years, so one final thing i'll say uh and it 's a bit of a reflection i've um mentioned a couple of times i've and in fact i'll i'll tell make my point by referring to a time that I had to do a presentation I was on stage with a bunch of Actually, it was an active, uh, Aboriginal activist myself and two blokes. And somebody from the audience put up their hand. It was a climate discussion. And they said, look, you know, I'm really um, worried about things. And somebody on the stage, he's a comedian, didn't really know much about the climate crisis. And, in fact, he's into cars, big muscle cars. He collects them. And he, he said something like, well, look, I don't really worry about it because I've got so much faith in the young people. My kids come home and they talk about recycling, they talk about extinctions and all this kind of thing, and they're the future. This is what's going to be so different. And I just arced up because, one, kids should be getting on with being kids. We shouldn't be putting all our hopes uh, and expectations on kids doing the work that we should be doing. So there's that. The second thing is, that kids, and his kids were 9 and 10 years old because I asked him, um, they're a good 10 years off being able to vote and actually, you know, make a difference in that way and from being able to pay taxes or to earn enough money to have super superannuation funds and bank accounts that they can move and divest. So it's a moot point. The change has got to happen now and it's up to us. So, Emma, as you say, kids should be getting on with being kids and the change needs to happen now. And that's what I would probably finish all of this on, is uh, if we're worried about kids' anxiety, we need to be doing the work ourselves and really just showing young people that we're caring, that we're engaged in the fight, we're engaged in issues, we're not letting this drop. And um, really, that's a wonderful invitation for us all. I'll finish it there. I will invite you again to head over to Substack if you want to watch this in video format. Uh, And uh, if you would like to join in the conversation afterwards with any thoughts, links, uh, that's generally what tends to happen over at Substack. And you can also check out some of the other bits and pieces that I refer to, like the video from last week and the conversation that we all had regarding the Meg Wheatley interview. All right. Until next time, stay wild